glad that you were able to be with us today, and I hope you brought a Bible with you. I brought a few with me, and uh, turn to Second Peter, chapter one. We'll be looking there. Second Peter, chapter one, and our focus this morning on what is on what legacy will you leave? What legacy will you leave? And we'll read the scripture in just a moment. But before we read that scripture, let me say that uh, years ago we had a sweet couple in their 90s who attended our church faithfully. Well, okay, Mahala was sweet all the time, George was sometimes. Uh, and, uh, but they left a legacy gift to the church when they died, and uh, it really helped us through a difficult time that particular year. We had some high unexpected expenses, and their gift met that need, and and uh, you know, those of you who've been around here for a couple of years, that Margaret Bach left funds uh, that blessed the church. We painted the entire outside of the church. We repainted inside this building and recarpeted inside this building, and her gift covered all of that. And that was a huge blessing for the church. It's we we can leave a financial legacy in that way. And Kathy and I've actually planned to do that when we die. Um, Hopefully, we, we're not planning to die. We want to be raptured. But if the Lord allows us to die, then, then we said we're going to leave uh, funds to our six dependent families, right? We have Jessica and Nathan and Megan and Courtney and Benjamin and Victory. And so uh, we'll, we'll leave funds that if we die, that it would be a blessing to the work of the Lord. But, but listen carefully. Uh, you, you need focused listening for this one, Okay. It's great if you leave money to a ministry or if you give money to a ministry. But I'm not trying to talk you into giving money to victory. We're going to talk about something a lot bigger. So first is that I want you to see that you can do spiritual things with money that can make a difference as your regular gifts do that Tim was talking about earlier in the service as the bequest that people gave us made a big difference in our ministries. But there's something far more important than leaving your money. You need, and I'm going to say that again, you need to try and leave a spiritual legacy, a spiritual legacy that will carry on after you're gone so that the work of God is impressed upon the hearts of the people that you influence, and then when you're no longer in their daily life, that influence can linger on. If you move away or move to heaven, the influence can last. And so, uh, in some ways, Second Peter is uh, the last will and testament of Peter, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or how he defined himself, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the, his focus was on his sacrifice and his serving. And so Peter gives this final will and testament, and in this, he's going to say something, he's going to talk, he's going to repeat stuff they already know. Uh, look in verse 12, just the first few words, for this reason. For what reason? Well, for the reason that we've talked about, actually, for a uh, two weeks, we didn't last week, but 
three weeks ago and two weeks ago, and uh, we looked at the beginning of Second uh, Peter chapter two, and he talked. I'm sorry, of Second Peter chapter one. He talked about what we have in Christ, and that our sins are forgiven, and we have a home in heaven, and God has guaranteed it, and uh, God has given us everything that we need to live godly in this life to prepare for the life to come. And then Peter goes on to challenge them, and he says in verse 5, but also for this very reason, because of what God has already done for us, now for this reason, you need to dedicate yourself to the Lord. You need to add to your faith. You add virtue, and you add knowledge, and you add excuse me, self-control, and you add all these attributes, you add and you do it diligently, you work to make your calling and election sure so that you have confidence in your relationship with Christ because you're growing in that relationship. We, we do that in human relationships. I mean, you, if you're honest, you can name somebody who was married for a long time, but they didn't grow closer to each other. They stayed together. Well, that's good. But God's goal is oneness, not just togetherness. And so we're supposed to grow closer to each other. And uh, I used to think the coolest thing in the world was young love when we were in young love. And I realize now that old love is a lot better than young love because uh, young love doesn't see everything and know everything. And old love is put up with and endured and looks at you and knows you're going to fail them next week and chooses to love you anyway. That's cool. And God loves us with that kind of love. And God wants us to grow and mature. And so Peter said, for this reason, for the reason in verse 5 that I'm we need to be diligent and add to our faith. And for, now for this reason, because of all that God has done and all that you should be doing. So what Peter's going to share is a necessary ingredient to what we should be doing in our walk of faith. Verse 12, for this reason, I will not be negligent. He is has been diligent in verse 5. Now he's not going to be negligent. He's going to really focus on this. He's going to remind them very strongly, this is important. So if this is in school, I was asking uh, Evelyn uh, if she was ready for class and new students tomorrow, and she said, oh, yeah, I don't have kids for another week because she does specialty teaching. And so she pulls kids out of their regular class and works with them. And so she doesn't have any kids the first week. She said, I'm ready for all the kids I'll have. <laughs> uh, so uh, we have differing uh, things. But, but imagine a teacher standing up in class and they're going to teach something that's really important to the class. What do they do? They get their attention. They say, class, look up here. I sat in on a kindergarten class one day. Boy, kindergarten teachers are nuts, let me tell you. Uh, Those kids had an had a attention span of 32 seconds. And they were constantly, she was calling them all back, all back up. So Peter's saying, listen up, people. Because of all that God has done and all that you're supposed to do, you need to really get this. And he's going to make sure they get it. Look what he says. I will not be negligent. I'm going to seriously remind you of these things. Though you know them, though you know and are established in the present truth. He's saying, listen, 
It's great that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And it's great that you're growing and maturing in your faith. And now, I'm going to remind you about that very thing. Now, Kathy and I have had this deal our whole marriage that we prefer not to be reminded about things that we're going to do. And yet, I was forgetful a lot. So I finally came to the place after we'd been married 10 or 15 years, I don't remember, where I gave her unlimited to remind me about anything. And to what some people call nagging, we call friendly reminders. And so she has that opportunity to give me a friendly reminder about anything. But I'm still human, right? And so when I have picked up the very thing that we talked about that I should take. It's in my hand, and she's around the corner, and she doesn't see. She said, are you going to remember to take that? How do you think I feel? (laughs) I feel so blessed that my wife is affirming me. I feel a little annoyed because this time I actually remembered. We're human. So here's the first believers in the first century. And Peter's going to say, I know you got this. I understand that. Now I'm going to tell it to you again. And I'm going to remind you again. Look look at how repetitious he is. He says, uh, uh, although you know it and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, this body, this tabernacle, the tent, it, your body's going to die if, even if you're raptured. Uh, but your body, for those who are not raptured, the body's going to die. It's going to go in the ground. It's going to decay. And God's going to raise it up and glorify it and transform it. But uh, it's a tent. You are more than just the outside. I realize our culture is obsessed with the outside, but you are much more than the outside. So he says, Uh, I want to stir you up as long as I am in this tent. As long as I'm still living in this body, I'm going to stir you up. To stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. When he was walking with the Lord, the Lord talked to him, and he understood the, the crucifixion Peter would later have with his arms outstretched. And some say his head was just hanging down. Others say he was crucified upside down. History records that he was crucified for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So he said, for this reason, because of all that God has already done, and because of all that you're supposed to do, adding to your faith, virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love and just building on that faith, for this reason, I will not be negligent. He was going to be reminding them, and that was his job. And guess what, kids? It's your parents' job to remind you about things. Guess what, husbands, it's your wife's job to remind you about things. Guess what, wives, it's occasionally your husband's job to remind you about things. Wives tend to remember things better than husbands do. I'm not sure that's fair. There are some men who remember almost everything. But as a general rule, wives are better with the calendar and and better with appointments. You know, uh, we got invited over to a friend's house this week, and like an hour after Kathy and I talked about it, I said, What are we planning for supper? She said, 
I ain't fixing you nothing, buddy. No. She said, don't you remember we're going? And I, oh, yeah. And on normal days, I would ask her again an hour later, but I remembered it. But, but listen, Peter is going to be dogging them because the pressures of life can cause you to forget. Jesus told a parable about people who got saved and they believed and, and they trusted the Lord and the cares of this life choked out their spiritual growth. Why do we go back to church? Why do we go week after week? We have people here who were in the Bible class this morning, which is excellent learning time. They're in this service now, and they're going to be in the 5 o'clock service this afternoon. Why would they do that? Because they're so unspiritual, they really need to be challenged. No, because they have a passion to try and grow in the Lord. And they want to grow and they want to mature. And so they're taking advantages of these teaching and preaching times where they can be challenged and mature in their faith. It would have been sinful for Peter to just want them to be comfortable in this life. He didn't want that. He wanted them to be challenged, to be stretched, to mature and to grow. And so Peter has made a commitment that he's going to leave a legacy that will outlive him. And so I brought some Bibles up here to use as an illustration. Uh, This Bible is the coolest one that I have. It's it's pretty old. Um, It's it's missing a few chapters uh, because uh, part of it fell out, and uh, and there's some pages that are really loose, and it's it's really kind of hard to see. But um, this is... uh, my grandmother's grandfather's Bible that he carried in his saddlebags as a chaplain in the Civil War. That's pretty cool. This is the hymnal that he used, hymns and, and Bible readings. And, and uh, look, at here's one of the hymns. So in a space this big, it has all six verses of, oops, I'll get that, don't worry, all six verses of, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And uh, in, in this much space, now I tell you, either they had a lot better vision than we do or something, you know, uh, that's impressive. And they would sing, and there's no music with it. They had to know the tune and be able to sing the tune. And this little book has more than a thousand hymns in it. So, these are, these are special for me to have. These traveled in saddlebags uh, during the Civil War as a chaplain was ministering and reaching soldiers and people for Christ. And, and then I, I have another Bible here. And uh, uh, so those who were in the membership class, you heard about this one. Uh, when I was a baby, our, our church, this church does not baptize babies. We baptize after salvation. Um, we look at the Bible and we see a pattern there. We're not critical of those who baptize babies, but we view it as a dedication of the child to the Lord. 
And so that's what we do, and that's what they did. When I was a baby, my parents took me, and, and Kathy and I did this for two, our two older kids, right? We, we publicly presented them to the Lord and had a dedication to the Lord. For the younger ones, we just made that commitment in our own home, and we didn't do it in the church because we were in a church that didn't do that. Uh, but I got this Bible when I was a baby. Now, I've shared bits and pieces of my history before I was a Christian. And a lot of you know, this was not very important to me for all of my growing up years. In fact, the only reason I still have it is because my mom kept it for me because my mom thought it was important. And after I got saved and the Bible became important to me, she gave it back to me. This is the Bible that I got when I was dedicated to the Lord. And then this Bible is the first Bible I got. Uh, I got it actually right before I got saved. Um, it's, oh, you guys already know. I started to say, it's a green Bible, but you guys already know. So, and, and it has my name on it, Terry, and then it also says green. So, no. Uh, and my grandma gave all of us a green Bible when we turned 16. She bought, my brothers and I, and I don't know about the girls, if they got a green one or not, but all the boys got a green one. And I got that Bible, and I thought, oh, thanks, Grandma, you know. I'm not going to use this. And then four months later, I got saved. And then that's the first Bible I read. And so it became significant to me. And, and then this one I got after I was a pastor. And, and this one is, was my great-grandpa's Bible. And, and he preached in this, and he put this binding on it. The binding's falling off, and the cover's all worn off. And, and what he did is, is in each book... He, he made a summary of the book and an outline, and he used very thin paper, and he glued it into his Bible, and I just destroyed it. He glued it into his Bible so that as he was studying, he could remember these things. I do most of my studying with a computer, and it's a lot easier on the eyes and easier to do. But, but this Bible was what my grandpa used to preach messages 40 years before I was born. And then when I became a pastor, I got his Bible. And I've actually preached some of his sermons that he had outlined in the Bible and some of his notes that I, I've had, and I've given credit to him. Paul Dale, a pastor in Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. And see, their legacy lives on. I, I don't even know the name of the guy who owned these. I'll meet him in heaven. Uh, I do know the name of the guy who owned this one. And when we get to heaven, we're going to rejoice in the awesomeness of God. And I get to rejoice in the legacy that they left behind. They left behind spirit things that can spiritually impact my life. But sometimes people get a little distracted by the cares of this life or other things. And the United Methodist Church used to be one of the most evangelical groups in America. Beginning in the 1700s, they had more than 4,000 circuit-riding preachers. How many of you have heard of that? You know what a circuit-riding preacher is? There were towns that couldn't afford to have a pastor, and so a preacher would come through, and he had a circuit that he would do, and it usually took him six to eight weeks to complete his circuit. And he would go preach and 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 preach. And sometimes they preach multiple times in the same day in multiple locations. And so they preached and they ministered to people, and one of the guys... Uh, well, more than half of the circuit-riding preachers died before age 30. 
and they cons- cons- consistently move them around. So a guy would have this circuit for two years and then that circuit for two years, and then that circuit for two years, and they kept moving him so that he wouldn't meet a girl and fall in love because then he would stop doing his circuit. I'm glad I didn't have that obligation. But, but uh, one guy, Francis Asbury, had the longest tenure of all the circuit-riding preachers. He did it for 45 years. And he traveled more than 270,000 miles on horseback. Now, I rode over 1,000 miles on a motorcycle in one day, but I can't imagine 270,000 miles on horseback. And it said that he preached more than 16,000 sermons. That's a lot of sermons. To a lot of people. Imagine the spiritual impact. There were thousands of people, potentially millions of people saved through that ministry. And that was great. But the, you, there are different Methodist churches. I hope you understand that. There's Evangelical Methodist. There's United Methodist. But within the United Methodist Church, which calls itself a denomination, they did a survey in that denomination about 15 years ago. And in that survey, they ask pastors, the pastors of the churches, if they believed the Bible was God's revealed word, all of the Bible, and only the Bible as God's revelation to mankind. Did they believe that? And only 11% of the pastors said they believed the whole Bible was the word of God. In that same survey, they asked them, uh, what was the greatest need of the people in their community? Less than 10% of the pastors said it was a spiritual need for salvation and spiritual growth. They got focused on social needs. I'm not making fun of them. In fact, as some of you remember, we had a young couple that was here for a quarter. She was a traveling nurse. You guys remember them? Uh, they had the fashion show and she won. Uh, the, what was it called? The thrift store fashion show and she won. And uh, it was a fun game our ladies did years ago. And they're in a United Methodist Church and they're committed to teaching the gospel and reaching people for Christ and praise the Lord for that. But there's some that aren't. And by the way, there's some pretty bad Baptist churches out there too. Um, some of them get in the news a lot for their unchristlike behaviors. But if you're not intentional about pursuing the Lord and then intentional about leaving a legacy, the legacy you leave will not be a good one. So this is one of the reasons why Peter was adamant about reminding them and reminding them and reminding them and leaving a legacy so they could read it again and again and again. So I'm going to give you some principles you need to remember. But before I do that, I want to tell you uh, this list. I, I saw this. Bruce Barton made a list of things you can do to have a spiritual legacy that gets passed on to future generations. And I'm going to run through this really fast, so don't try and write it down, but I will put it on the bulletin board later, okay? First, talk to your grandchildren. Many grandparents fail to connect with the younger ones, especially as grandchildren become teenagers. Talk about God. Keep it simple. Keep it in front of them. 
Start a scrapbook that tells the story of faith in your family, including important dates and records, baptisms, funerals, announcements, etc. Like, like I can share about the family legacy that I have received uh, through these Bibles. Number three, make an audio or videotape of the real you, your struggles, and God's work in your life. Explain how you became a Christian. If you don't know how to do that, we can help you do that if you really want to do that. Um, uh, number four, talk about God in your last will and testament. Uh, give your testimony of salvation, a spiritual challenge in your last will and testament. Uh, we have that group from, uh, sorry, what was it? Life Institute. Thank you. We had that group from Life Institute here, and that's one of the things they said we could do to leave a legacy to your descendants and to find out what the will says, they have to read about what the Bible says. So uh, that's a good thing. And then number five, plan your Christian funeral. Okay, we don't want to die, right? None of us want to die. But if you die, you could write down some things that you'd like to have happen. And uh, by the way, we keep a record of emergency contacts for people and different things so that if something happens, we can reach family if there's no family in the area. So write, just write down some things. Kathy and I were talking about it right before I had my surgery. In fact, we're on the highway driving toward the surgery, and I told her, I said, maybe I should have jotted down some things and just in case I die in the surgery. She said, I got your funeral covered. <laughs> and she told me who was going to preach my funeral. And I said, that's great. The guy who led me to the Lord will be preaching my funeral if I die before he does. That's, that's really cool. Uh, but hopefully I won't need it, right? But, but plan some things out. And, you know, if you really are serious about what you want to do, let me know because we can write it down and keep a record here. And if we ever need it, we have it. And then uh, the sixth thing he said was to demonstrate assurance. Yeah, this is very important. Demonstrate assurance that your future with God in heaven is a source of real happiness. See, what happens sometimes is older people, well, dying people of any age, it just happens more to older people than younger people, but they get so obsessed with the fact that they're dying and they're going to miss out. And they're, I'm going to miss seeing this and I'm going to miss seeing that. And I'm not going to live to see that, you know. And like Bob Fogle did not live to see the Cubs win the World Series again. Um, and that was a burden in his heart. He, he saw them win the first time way back when he was a kid, a bat boy. Uh, but we, we need to remind family, heaven is this glorious thing. We had a, the chancellor of our college when he was dying from heart failure was in his hospital bed and the family was all gathered around him. And they were singing songs of praise to the Lord. And he couldn't sing, but he was tapping his finger with them. And he had the smile on his face. And somebody said to him, one of the kids said, Dad, what are you thinking? And he said, I think I'm going to see Jesus before you do. I win. <laughs> That's the way I want to die. You know, looking forward to seeing the Lord, going to be in heaven. There's a joy before us. And we're going to see it, and it's real. So, so let me leave you some principles to remind you about your own legacy. Okay, number one, you will influence others. You will. It's going to happen. I love this picture. 
older sister and the younger sister and the younger sister trying to be just like the older sister. And maybe you younger siblings don't want to be exactly like your older sibling, but everybody is influenced by somebody. And everybody influences somebody. You will influence others. Secondly, you should think about your influence and how it may impact those around you and those who come after you. You're going to have an impact. You're going to have an influence. So what do you want that influence to be? I used to sit and fuss and grumble in the car when we were driving. And how many of you believe there are some pretty stupid drivers out there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, there, and there's more because Hunter just got his license. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he's not a stupid driver. He, if he's a typical young man, he might be a little aggressive, but he's certainly not a stupid driver. But there are some out there. They don't seem to know what's going on. They're just going. And I used to let these people drive me crazy. And I'd drive in the car and I'd be, you know, we had a steering wheel that was smooth and I put the finger grips into it. Uh, but, but the... I realized how immature I was. It's just traffic. And Kathy, by the way, is thrilled that I came to this understanding. She doesn't understand why it took me more than 35 years of our marriage to get there, uh, but she's glad that I did. And so I just slow down. And if they're going to drive badly, I really want them out in front of me so I can see how to get around them. I don't want them right behind me. Uh, And so I learned to just relax. And I didn't realize I'm in the front seat of the van. There's the rest of the vans filled up with family, and they're seeing how I'm responding to life and not trusting God with my daily commute. So think about your influence. And then thirdly, you, your influence will outlive you. Your influence will outlive you. We buried, well, I wasn't there for the funeral, but Paul Dale was buried in 1967, I believe. It might have been late 66, early 67. That's been a while. That's been more than 50 years. I still remember hearing him preach. And he was a short little guy. Um, He was just barely over five feet tall. And when he preached, He'd bounce up on his toes. I think it was so he could see over the podium. And, and he'd bounce, and he'd preach, and he was so energetic. And it was funny. I remember one time he was preaching, and when he got through the message, he preached so fast. He talked so fast. He had to really listen hard to keep up. And when he finished preaching, and he got ready to pray, you saw the whole congregation go, because ah. they'd just been put through the ringer trying to keep up with him, because he was a fireball, man. I remember him preaching, and I remember fishing with him and eating Fig Newtons. I don't remember a whole lot of the rest of his life, but I still remember that. And he loved God, and he was excited about going to heaven. And I was unsaved and thought he was a little deranged. But then after I became a Christian, I realized what a godly influence he'd had in my life when I thought I wasn't even paying attention. Your influence will outlive you. It's going to happen. We could go around the room and all of you could tell a testimony of somebody who made an impact in your life who's no longer alive on planet Earth because influence outlives. I think that's why we don't get our final rewards until the end of life on Earth 
because the people who are already in heaven are earning more rewards because their influence is living on through those they have influenced. Number five, Peter's life was relatively short. He probably, or I skipped number four. Okay, your influence will influence others that you have never seen or met or heard of. So, for instance, uh, uh, we as a church were really praying that God would open a door. This was years ago, not quite 20 years ago, but close. We were praying that God would open a door to an Asian country that was closed to traditional American missionaries. And we didn't have any idea what that would look like. There's a lot of countries over there, and we were really praying about that. And then, uh, through an accident, we found out about a need in India for missionaries to have bicycles because they were preaching in one area and then preaching in another area and preaching in another. And so they needed a bicycle to be able to commute. And we, we said, we were praying about this. We were raising money. At that time, we had $500. We sent it. We bought five bicycles. And then a year later, a year and a half later, I'm sitting in a master's class up at IBCS, International Baptist College and Seminary, and I'm sitting by this guy named Solomon. And Solomon tells me, he's from Hyderabad, India. And I said, oh, we sent money to Hyderabad, India to buy bicycles. He said, I got one of the bikes. And, and we became close friends. And eventually our church took him on as a missionary. And we now support him. And now he leads a group of independent Baptist churches in India and a, a seminary and a Bible college and a children's home and uh, great things that God is doing. And wh- why? Because we were praying that God would open this door and we sent. And you know, most of the people who gave to make that $500 possible, they're already with the Lord. But those bicycles are still being used. And so your influence can influence others that you have never met because you impact one person and they impact another person who impacts another person and the ripples spread. Number five, Peter was, his life was relatively short. He probably lived to be about 66 years old. Uh, That seems short to me. (laughs) I'll be there in seven years. It seems old to some of you younger people. But how many of you think 66 seems fairly young, right? Raise your hand. Yeah, a whole lot of people who are either getting close to it or already way past that. I remember 66. That was a great time in my life 20 years ago, right? Um, But listen, Peter's influence still lives. We're reading his book. We read about his life in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. His influence is living on today. And that's pretty cool. He didn't realize that would happen. His adult life was only 2.3% of his influence so far. The little bit, that was 2.3% of the influence he's had on people through all these years. So more than 97% of his influence occurred after he died. Your influence lives on, and Peter's did. My life has been impacted by his life. Other lives have been impacted by him. We've been impacted by his writing, by his heart, by the transformation between Peter and the apostle in the in the uh, gospels and Peter in the epistles. And we see the amazing spiritual growth and maturity that took place from when he first became a believer to when he was an old believer. 
But in their days, 66 was old. In our days, it's not so old. Most of you alive right now uh, could have a reasonable expectation of living into your 80s at least. That's the normal expectation for life in America with reasonably good foods that we have. Some will live longer. Uh, I've met several who've lived over 100. But your influence will outlive you. Number six, you, you can bring glory to God through your own wise spiritual choices. You can bring glory to God through your own wise spiritual choices. And you can bring glory to God through the wise spiritual choices of those you help influence. So you make wise choices, you're bringing glory to God. You influence your kids, your grandkids, kids in Awana, kids in Good News Bible Club. You influence them for Christ, you're bringing glory to God. Now, number seven, even a young child can leave a spiritual legacy. I'm going I'm to give you a warning here. This is sad. This is a picture of the Smith family from Volina, Valonia, sorry, Valonia, Arkansas. Dad, Daniel, Mom, April, their sons, Cameron, age nine on the right, Tyler, age seven, in the circle. This was a picture taken um, in 2013. They moved into a new house in October 2013. Here's the new house they moved into. And they were so excited, a big, beautiful new house. And Daniel and April and their two sons, Cameron and Tyler, had trusted Christ as Savior. And in fact, Tyler started talking about heaven a lot after they moved into their new house. And on Sunday morning, April 27, 2014, Tyler told his mom he was ready to go to heaven. And he was ready to go. And then he asked if she would miss him. And his mom was a little bit freaked out, as you can imagine, but happy that he was looking forward to heaven. And a few hours later, this is what happened. A tornado. This is the same picture of what would have been the same house. It was gone. They didn't have a basement, so they all got in the bathtub, all four of them squeezing in there, pulling a mattress down over them, and the tornado just blew the house apart. April and her husband Daniel lived. Both boys went home to be with the Lord. April and Daniel didn't even see each other for a couple of weeks because they were so battered and beaten and in separate hospitals because their bodies were found miles apart. So April had this son who kept talking about heaven who said he was ready to go be with the Lord. And as April's lying in her hospital bed, she learned that her husband lived, but her boys did not. And the Holy Spirit of God comforted her because she knew where they were and she knew they were ready to go. See, even a kid can have a spiritual influence. You don't have to wait till you're old. You can do it when you're still young and cute. You don't have to wait till you're old and not quite so cute, right? I don't know. Some old people are really cute. But listen, just because you're a kid, don't think you can wait to think about your influence. I have preached funerals for kids younger than anybody in this room. Only God knows 
when the end of our life will be. You can't choose how long you live, but you can choose how well you live. And so Peter said, I'm going to make this stick. I'm going to leave a legacy. And young Tyler left a legacy that gave his mom the courage to trust God in spite of devastating losses. Like Job, she chose to trust God. And it made a difference. Just like Peter's legacy makes a difference. You will leave a legacy. You will. What will you leave? What legacy will you leave? After you're gone, will your influence still be pointing people to Jesus Christ? Or will your influence encourage them to focus on the things of this earth? The Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Put Christ first. And then you'll live the best life now and the best life to prepare for the life to come. I would love for all of us to just be alive when the rapture happened. I would love to be here in church, you know, and have the trumpet sound and have me look at you and say, did you hear that? And we'll all just go be with the Lord. I would love that to happen. But whenever he calls me home, I'm ready because Christ saved my life. If you're here this morning and you don't have that confidence, if you don't have that confidence that if today was your last day on earth, you know you'd be in the presence of the Lord, then you need to trust Christ as your Savior. Ask Him to forgive your sins and save your soul. And we can show you from the Word of God how that can be done. And if you're a Christian and you've been focusing on money, Money's important. Money helps you buy food, helps you pay for shelter and clothing. Money's important, but money is so less important than all the spiritual things. Are you leaving a spiritual legacy? That's the most important thing. Father, I pray that uh, our lives would impact others in a positive way that would make a spiritual difference. I pray for those here this morning who've maybe never trusted Christ as Savior, that they would do it today, that today could, for them, be a spiritual birthday, the day they ask you to forgive their sins and save their soul. And thank you that you said, whoever comes to you, you will receive. Whatever sin they've committed, you will forgive. Thank you for your awesome grace and your amazing love. Now, Father, we pray that Our hearts would be stirred. Our lives would be challenged, just like Peter did for these early Christians. He wanted to challenge them and remind them of things they already knew, but needed to be reminded of and challenged again. And I pray that we would receive this, not as the nagging of an old preacher, but as a challenge from the Holy Spirit of God to hold fast, to hang on to our faith, to live well each day, because each day could be that glorious day we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.